Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I reunite with high school classmates for my graduating class of Wissahickon High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. Of course, got to give a thanks to Chris Gebert, episode 224, my Battle Hits brother, for a fun episode available in the archives everywhere you get podcasts and at youtube.com slash redshirtplayer. Follow Facebook and the Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School. This week, my guest is Aneta Ostash, a.k.a. Aneta Piatek. So this was an interesting process. An upperclassman had dropped me a line about a year ago. Yeah, literally a year ago. It was last May. And he told me amongst his own travels, he had become aware of Aneta working with refugees. And he wasn't exactly sure where she was in the world at the moment, but he thought she'd be a great guest. So I found a line to reach out to her and I heard back last summer. So we started talking. I told her about the podcast and we exchanged emails, but she told me she was really busy. But if she could find time to do the podcast, she would definitely give it a shot. So I told her literally, listen, like anytime you think you can do the podcast, I will drop everything and do it. If you send me an email and say I can do it right now. I will do it. So a couple of weeks ago, one morning, morning for me, probably nighttime for Aneta because she's in Greece. Uh, she says, hey, I have some time right now if you want to talk. I'm always a little more nervous when I don't know my guest and I have no clue what we're going to talk about. But that can also be the really exciting part, especially when it's a totally different experience than every other classmate. So enjoy my conversation with Aneta Ostash, a.k.a. Aneta Piatek. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Um, so this is like so. All right. Have you listened? Have you like listened to the podcast at all? I've listened to bits and pieces of some, but okay. not a full podcast. Okay. So um, this is so interesting because, like, you know, a lot of these a lot of these podcasts that I do when I when I do them with you know classmates, um, I know them a bit. Um, I kind of have like some memories of them or I remember them in the halls or I knew someone that they dated. Um, but you're honestly one of the, one of the first classmates that when I, when I look back in the yearbook, I have to think like, wait, who was she? Because I don't know. I feel like you were, um, well, I don't know. I, I just didn't, there were like a few handful of students that I just didn't really know at all. So what makes this so interesting is like finding out like what your experiences actually were in school um, and figuring out why the hell I didn't know you at all. <laughs> okay. So where did you, where did you grow up, Aneta? I grew up in the Philadelphia area. Okay. Um, just starting with, with Philly, then moving out to the suburbs, King of Prussia, and then uh, in Bluebell. What, what, uh, how old were you when you came to Bluebell? I was nine. So I started in elementary school. Then I went to Wissahickon Middle School and high school. So nine years old, that's like a, we've had some students that, um, that have done the show that have talked about you know, jumping areas. Most of, a lot of them have talked about, like, I don't remember if you remember Yuka, um, but he, you know, he came to Wizahickon in like 10th grade, 11th grade. Um, and then other students have come in in like middle school. 
But I always look at that elementary school time is like for me, when I established all of my friends because of where I grew up, I grew up in Ambler. So all of my friends in school were my friends from the neighborhood. For you, was you, were your friends growing up as a kid before you got to Wizzahickon, were your friends from your area? And did that affect you once you moved to Bluebell? Uh, yeah, I remember I did have friends from King of Prussia before moving to Bluebell. I kind of stayed in touch with them and that withered out. But uh, in high school, I think my friends were a mix of elementary school, middle school and newly made friends in, in high school. So I would say a mix of everyone. Which elementary? Having some close friends in Ambler as well. Um, Which elementary el school? Yeah. I think Shady Brook, Sandy Brook. I, I really don't remember Sh the name. Was it Shady Grove? <laughs> Shady Grove. <laughs> so that's funny. I I've, so. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Shady Grove. Because um, I ended up going to Shady Grove in uh, fourth grade, is when okay. I'm from, because um, I started in, in Madison in Ambler. And then in fourth grade, we all got moved over to Shady Grove. So that's funny. So that's when I would have, that's probably when I would have um, run into you Very for the first possible. time. I'm looking to see if I can see it in the, I don't see it in the Shady Grove yearbook though. Maybe I have the name wrong. So there was uh, there's also Stony yeah. Creek. Stony Creek, that's it. I went to oh. Stony Creek. Sorry, because I played soccer in Shady Grove. Um, that's why I remember Shady Grove better. But yeah, it was Stony Creek. Yeah, did you Stony do Stony Creek where I had elementary school? Did you do WRA at Shady Grove? Soccer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you were once you got to to Stony Creek, do you remember like who some of your friends might have been from from there once you moved into the Bluebell area? Yeah, in Stony Creek, um, I remember Kim Burkowski. That's where I met uh, Kim. That was one of my friends. Yeah, what kind of what kind of stuff were you into as a kid growing up? Soccer. Soccer. <laughs> yeah, I was a big so. I played soccer a lot through elementary school, middle school, into where did high that, school. So. Where did that come from? Um, soccer, why not? Like versus, I don't know, a lot of the girls, I mean, a lot of girls played soccer, but also girls talk about like field hockey, lacrosse, uh, softball, s swimming. Why soccer? I guess because I grew up watching the World Cup and uh, having watched that from childhood, it really got me into soccer. That's interesting. Soccer wasn't, I feel like in the United States, wasn't a, a huge popular sport in the 90s. All my friends uh, played soccer, but I was always a basketball, um, baseball guy. And I played soccer for one year for WRA and I was terrible at it. And it just wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't adapt to it at all. Um, how did you, why for you was soccer such a big thing in, in your, in your life, watching the World Cup in the 90s? I, I don't have a reason. It's just a sport that I liked. And, uh, was your family? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my I, my family they they follow basketball or, or ice hockey, soccer as well, but just something that I like. That's interesting. Um, do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I had two younger brothers as well. How much younger? Uh, one was two years younger, and the other one was uh, six years younger. Seven, so yeah. So your two years younger was in was in most of the schools with you then. Yeah, yeah. So you did sports in middle school then. Yeah, yeah. Soccer. Did you do anything else in middle school? Any other like activities? 
I think most of the um, after school activities were in high school. All of the, the different groups, uh, I think it, there was a debate club, drama club, all of this. Um, I think that was mainly in high school. I don't think there was, uh, from what I remember, anything in middle school. When you got to high school, then what was your what was your like social world like? What were you? What I mean, soccer obviously you were into, but what else were you were you doing? Who were you hanging out with? Yeah, I was I was doing a lot of these um, these groups, after school groups. I also did track, and uh, I think there was this so. Uh, World History Club. I. You're talking about in, in high school. <laughs> I've really got so I've got the yearbook in high here. School, yeah, yeah. There, there were a lot of clubs. I was in a lot of clubs. Um, I don't even remember most of them, but. So, all right. I will run down. I usually do this at the very end. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna give it to you right now. Ready? So you did academic decathlon ten through eleven. Okay. What is that? It sounds hard. I think it was something that ended up in us auditioning for Jeopardy. <laughs> I, have a, I have a faint memory of that. Yeah. Like kids Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was something like that. That's awesome. I didn't but... make it, but I think uh, other, other colleagues um, advanced a bit further. That's awesome. Uh, you've also got art club. You've got uh, aura. Yeah, Aura. I remember Aura. It was a magazine where we were, uh, I think, writing mainly poetry, different forms of poetry. I I do remember remember that. that. Yeah, I do remember that, the Aura magazine. You could submit stuff from like English class and stuff. Teachers used to. Yeah, yeah. it was a nice activity. Foreign Exchange Club, 11 through 12. What was that? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, FBLA, 10 through 12. When you're doing all these, like, how are you finding time? Like, I mean, seriously, you've got, so I'm only halfway through your list, right? How are you, how do you find time to do this during a school year? What's your, is your schedule just madness? Yeah, it was very busy. And, uh, but I think that's needed at this age. You need to really be uh, engaged and busy, not to get in trouble. What did that mean? Like get in trouble? Were you? Um... No, I I didn't get in trouble. Is my point that I I didn't uh, engage in any bad or harmful habits. Uh, looking I mean. back, because I was so busy with uh, all of the activities that were available, I really tried to seize every opportunity that there was. When you said you didn't want to get in trouble, were you looking out at other students? Um, like, what was your perception of, like, getting in trouble that you wanted to avoid? Where did that come from? Yeah, I think it was uh, known that that our school in our area did have, I mean, if I remember that the drug searches of the lockers, um, I remember the whole D.A.R.E. movement. So I was aware that a lot of this was, was out there and had um, unfortunately affected some of our our peers so it was um it was good to to stay away from all of that did you have friends like in your in these groups i mean i know you said you had a mix kind of from all over but from a school standpoint or even like out of the school i guess you still had friends from where you started from um who were those friends and did that help you kind of stay true to what you wanted to do yeah i had i had very like a very small group of 
friends, not a clique, but uh, individuals mm. that I would um, hang hang out with. I recall Grace Chen, uh, Catherine Zhao, and uh, also Katie Vischer. We would play a lot of soccer together and work on science projects together. So, yeah, I remember. Katie um, Vischer, yes. Yeah. So you're very busy. Did you work? No, I, I, I didn't work until um, I started college, so not in high school. What did your parents do? So um, my parents are actually immigrants uh, to the U.S. And um, I came to the U.S. when I was uh, less than two years old. And we were actually political refugees from Poland. Wow. Uh, which was under Soviet influence, so no freedom of expression or or commerce or whatnot. Um, so yeah, my my father was a landscaper, and basically we we lived the American dream. I can say that, which really also pushed me to um, do my best at, at school. I wasn't a straight A student. I wasn't a great, but I was uh, engaged in, in many activities and just really trying to do my best um, to, to kind of uh, fulfill this American dream. Well, my mom, she, she was doing various jobs here and there over the years. Boy, we buried the lead. Political refugees from Poland. That's like, I'm assuming you don't have memories of Poland being two and under, right? No, but I mean, we would go there for summer holiday over the years. So Okay. You have this um, whole world around you that um, you belong to, that you've come from. And then you're in the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, which clicks, things like that, right? Very pop culture. It's the nineties. It's America on top of that. What was your, what was your worldview living in the suburbs, still going back to still going back home in the summers and then coming back here? What was that for you? What was your mentality about the world that we were living in? Well, going to Poland as Americans, we were the cool kids. We had everything. We had clothes. We had candy, bubblegum, I mean, all of the things that they did not have at the time, um, which now Poland has everything. But during the time, I mean, it was, it was, we were really the cool kids going there. That's how I remember it. Yeah. And just uh, speaking English uh, has been such an advantage throughout life that uh, I think compared to, to individuals that did not have the opportunity to grow up in the U.S. or get an American education. It really makes a difference. And I noted that, if I may uh, fast forward a bit, because I did my study abroad in France, and seeing the European education vis-a-vis the U.S. education, uh, we really had... um, I think a lot more opportunities to develop and um, just we, we could really do everything. And for example, in, in France, the way that they teach students is they teach to memorize. While in the U.S., 
kids are taught to think, to strategize. So there's a, a huge difference in the approaches towards education, which I really appreciate. And uh, in high school, I think we had so many opportunities at Wissahickon. Um, we had AP classes, we had all these extracurricular activities, uh, all these groups that, 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 that you started reading from the yearbook that I don't even remember. <laughs> I think it really made a difference from basic things like public speaking, which um, you've, you really, the confidence that we have as Americans vis-a-vis -vis Europeans, it, I mean, there's a huge difference. That's so interesting that you you mentioned specifically the the learning style of memorization versus uh, what was the the phrase that you used for for American thinking and strategizing thinking, strategizing yeah. strategizing. So my my problem and I've asked some students this is you know studying methods. I was a I was an average student you know B's A's for math because I think because it was I don't know I guess I could remember formulas but facts especially history. Um, science i was and and foreign language with vocab i was terrible and my problem was i wasn't good at memorizing and school was all note taking right like the at least for my classes i didn't have ap or anything like that but um it was all like the transparency or the or the chalkboard and they would write notes with like roman numeral one and then capital letter a and you just copied and i did not remember any of that stuff i was a bad studier too i didn't sit down and look at notebooks for you, it sounds like this really actually worked and you actually understood this stuff. I mean, like I said, I wasn't a straight A student. I, I wasn't a, you know, a, a great student. I had C's. I had, you know, I, I think I even had a D at one point in, okay. in a class. So, but I mean, just looking back at, at the methodology vis-a-vis -vis, um, in other locations, I think it was, I mean... We can't remember everything like chemistry, physics, uh, economics, but but we can, I think it was a, a very holistic way of approaching education and especially with the extracurricular activities. Did you know then that you weren't, you know, a, a straight A student? Were you working hard at that? I was working hard and I think I, I was the opposite. I mean, your strength, you said our math. Well, I wasn't great at math. I wasn't great at science. I was good in languages. I took both French and Spanish in high school. I was good in geography, uh, history. So, um, so I was good in some subjects, but, but in others I struggled, especially where uh, things weren't in explained to me in a way that I would understand them. So in your home, was it a, a worldly home? Were you guys looking at world news? Were you talking other languages? Did your parents speak other languages? Were you like, were you paying attention to history and, and politics then? No, I was not. I didn't really um, start to follow politics till, till after high school. Um, but yeah, at the time, we, we I did grow up speaking Polish at home. Um, and then at one point, I, I remember I, I really liked Spanish music, Latino music. So I would be listening a lot, which helped learning Spanish. But I think all of this was a bit after high school, too. You know, you talked about when you when they came here and it's the American dream. As far as you understood it, what was your parents' hope? What was the 
did they have a dream for you of what they wanted you to do? Oh yeah. My, um, my parents wanted me to end up working at an embassy somewhere. So they, so they were really like pushing me to, to get out there. I, I originally wanted to be an archeologist, but, uh, it, I think that that remains as a hobby, but not as a, as a career. Why archaeologists? Where did that come from? I, I was inspired, actually, um, it, during the history class. I think it was the AP history class. Um, I remember with Mrs. Linden, uh, which is a teacher who really opened up a, a lot of windows, I guess, per, per different ways of looking at things to really go into um, history and the different angles of it and world history, which I, which I thought was very um, interesting. So, so yeah, that, that was a, an interest of mine early on. Uh, would you have a, would you be able to, to narrow down a favorite class or a favorite teacher during? during yeah, like, like I just mentioned, uh, I remember Linden. Mrs. Linden, yeah, specifically. What about, um, what about least favorite class? Science, math. Oh, economics. Oh, econ. Did you have Mr. Rizipka? Mr. Rizipka? I don't remember his name, but I he is he's the one who basically gave us the textbook uh, <laughs> to read during class and didn't actually teach. So it was um, it was very difficult for me to <laughs> to learn anything in that class. What was pop culture like for you? Um, coming, you know, immigrating from the country and then or immigrating think, to I the country. Think, uh, I think high school, if I remember well, was the, the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera times and mm -hmm. sync the, the boys groups. Yeah. I recall these guys. Yeah. Backstreet boys, 90 degrees. Yeah, Backstreet boys. Yeah. <laughs> did you have a, did you have a favorite of, of all the, of all the groups? Or the girls? I, I like Britney Spears, actually. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so funny then that um, it took until afterwards, you said, like you start to branch out into like some Spanish music. When you talk about your background and your parents, I would, in my head, I would just think that you would, you know, have, I don't know, more of a, a European influence or something, you know, in your, in your house. But that's my... Not, yeah, not music-wise, no, no. I mean, we would watch uh, American TV. We wouldn't have Polish TV or anything. So I spoke English with my brothers, not Polish. So, yeah. Would, um, you know, the only, the only experience I have in talking about stuff like this is with, um, is with a lot of our, or not a lot, but the few Asian students that I've interviewed so far. Um, and some of them have talked about um, their parents um, being immigrants and traditional, was there a difference with, you know, you talk about speaking English with your brothers, um, but you also spoke Polish in the house. Was there a difference in how you would, um, in how you interacted with your parents versus how you maybe would interact with your friends or your brothers? Uh, just language wise. But I, I think one difference was food. Um, the, the type of food that we eat. I mean, for example, we would eat soup almost every day. I don't know if, if that's common in all households, but um, it was every day we had soup. 
um, soup and something else for dinner. But it, it was something that um, that I remember. Soup? I mean, there, there's so many different types of soups. Really? <laughs> like, which I think is more linked to the Polish culture of uh, soup eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, soup is popular. Soup isn't isn't not popular. I don't know if it's um. I feel like it's like mandatory to have soup with every dinner. So, so this is, I think, fun fact maybe. Yeah, is that like having like Italian families when they have the when they have the pasta or the big salad or whatever? This is the start for this is how you start your meals with a bowl of soup. Exactly, exactly. Homemade, your mom. So your mom was just like making. Uh, Yeah, everything was homemade every day. That's kind of cool. Did you uh, did you pick up on any of that? Or are you like a are not you a... at all, not at all. I, I can't cook, cook soup to this day. I was gonna say, not should I look all. for a home ec on your on your list here? Did you do any any home ec? Any cooking no, not in at here? All. Your parents wanted you to to go to the uh, to be in a uh, go to the embassy. You wanted to be an archaeologist. As you're going through high school, then what are you starting to target yourself towards? Did you have, I didn't have much of a goal. I just, I thought maybe something in entertainment, maybe theater. Um, but I didn't really have an idea of what that meant when I turn, you know, when I'm 18, I graduate high school. What does that mean? Where do I go? Did you have an idea of what, what that meant for you, where you were going to go? Did you have a path you were trying to hit? Yeah, I think, um, we had, was it in 12th grade? Um, we, I, we had like a final project. It, it wasn't a thesis, but it was senior final, project. Was it the senior project that we had to do? Yeah. And I, I did mine on genocide and, uh, I, I looked at the genocide in, in Rwanda, in, in Burma, in Cambodia at the time and, um, World War II. Native Americans as well in uh, in in the U.S. and South America, so that really opened my eyes to 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 the whole plight of humanity and refugees, and I think there I really felt like I wanted to to get more involved in humanitarian work. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot for an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, I guess it was. Do you think that's from just your history and, and your family? And No, I, I think it's more from the, I mean, like I was saying, I, I referenced Mrs. Linden and, and the history classes. Uh, it really opened my eyes to, to um, things that happened in history. So I wanted to delve a bit more into that and and understand. And I think I read a few books at the time, saw some documentaries or movies and, uh, and then did a little research for that senior project. So then where do you start to, you do, you do senior college, you do a senior project, but that's like the end of the year, right? We had like the, like the abbreviated version because we were the first class to, to do it. Um, so are you applying to colleges anywhere at that yeah, point? Yeah, I, I applied to, um, I applied to colleges. Um, I don't. I didn't get into any of the ones that I wanted to. Really. But uh, but I ended up going to to a good college. So. Where did you go? I went to Bryn Mawr, which is 
not that far. I think it's about half an hour away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it, it was it was a good um, it was a good college, but I think um, my grad school I. I went right from undergrad to, to grad, and then I went to George Washington University in D.C. And, oh, awesome. and this one I really liked. I really liked, um, I was working, I mean, I was working throughout college, but uh, the, the GW program allowed, has night classes, so you basically have a real job during the day, and uh, you study in the evening. So I, I really enjoyed that. But Bridmore was also very good. I mean, a lot, uh, very rich experience with the with the different professors there, and the study abroad opportunity. Yeah. What was what was your major? Um, in undergrad, I did political science in French, and then in grad school, I did international relations and development. Wow. So you already knew. So you were on your way. Were you trying to hit the embassy? Were, were you actually trying to do that? Yeah, then? yeah. I, I okay. even took the I was going to say, it does sound like the, exam. the, what kind I, of exam? I, service? The foreign service exam, but, but I didn't, I didn't pass, I think. Um, I was going to say, it does sound, that sounds like the path, not that I know, but that does sound like the path that you would take for something, for something like that. So then as you're, as you're doing that, did you like it? Did you, did you, as you're, one of the things that a lot of students often talk about is they kind of go into a path and they thought that this is what they wanted to do. Often it's, it's science or medical um, based, but there's been other, there's been other um, paths as well. And then they, they kind of realize, especially when they do a lot of school, like you have, that they were kind of off a little bit and they start to recalibrate throughout those years of school. Um, so you didn't go, but did you, was there a moment for you realizing that you didn't want to do this or you couldn't do this and you shifted? No, not at all. I think especially once I got to DC, I felt like I was home. Like this is where I should be. And I, I really um, felt like I fit in there. Uh, DC is very diverse. Washington, DC. It's very diverse. It has, I mean, students from all across the US. It also has students from all around the world. So at this point, I was making a lot of friends from, from Africa, for example, uh, or also Europe, Asia, South America. It was very, um, very diverse, which, uh, which I really liked. When you say you felt like you were home at any point, or I guess growing up, did you feel like something was missing in that way? Or did you not even know it until you, you experienced it in DC and then you went, Oh, this, this feels better than, did you, did you feel that missing part of, I don't know, diversity growing up? I, I mean, our, our high school was diverse, but perhaps not as diverse as um, a high school in DC. For sure. For example. So yeah, something so something I, I've I've talked to a lot of students about is um, you know, the the cliques, not just by popularity, but by race. You know, there yeah. were there were people that that interacted with each other and and I think in conversation it feels like it happened a lot more with people who were involved in sports. Um, but my memories of, you know, walking down the halls where you'd have 
you know, the crew of white kids over here, and then you'd have the crew of black kids over here, and then you'd have um, you'd have what we'd call the Asian the Asian crew over here. Um, and a lot of the Asian kids have talked about, mostly Korean, have talked about like not really venturing out. Um, Brian Cho talked about not feeling like he belonged with the Korean kids because um, he's not Korean. So he kind of felt like he didn't have that. He didn't have that group in Wizahickon. Uh, for you, being white but not being American, being European, uh, Polish, did you struggle with that at all? Yeah, I guess um, I I I can't recall if I struggled. I just um, I wasn't as perhaps outgoing or extrovert as as other kids, and just um, had few close friends who were diverse. Um, I mean, I, I had friends that were American, but I also had friends that were Asian. So, um, and then later on, I had a lot of Latino, African friends as well. Um, yeah. When you when you talk about being quiet um, in school, and that's like my head is like, ah, oh, she was she must have she was one of the quiet girls that I just never ever talked to. Um, for some students, that can garner getting picked on, bullied. Um, the quiet kids sometimes get it the worst. Um, what was your interaction like just with the whole school in general at Wissahickon? Did you have any? Do you, you were quiet? Did everyone leave you alone, or was it like, hey, quiet girl, or whatever, whatever? I, I was lucky enough not to be one of those um, kids that were picked on. Um, I guess I, I just blended it in my quietness. But I, I don't recall being personally picked on. Um, while I, I do recall other peers um, being picked on, and I, I know I would try to, to reach out to, to some of those that were um, being picked on to show solidarity while I would not reach out to those who were bullying others. So I, I remember that. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you date at all in school? I did not, not at all. Um, do you think that was a product of quietness? Did you want to, was it for me, it wasn't really on my radar. None of my friends dated, you know, I had a small group also, um, you know, four or five, six guys, one guy had a girlfriend, no one else. We didn't hang out with girls. It wasn't in my world. Was it in your world at all? Did you want no, it? not at all. Um, none, when did you I have time? None of, my, <laughs> none of my friends dated either. And I, yeah, it just wasn't on my radar. I didn't date at all in high school, no. When you looked out, did you have like a, did you, did you have an awareness of like the clicks in that way of like, oh, these are the kids that are, that are dating having like did you feel like you belonged in a certain stereotype at all while you were there i don't think so i mean i i definitely wasn't in the click of everyone that was dating or partying i i, I wasn't you weren't in the I group could, yeah you were not in the popular no. kid crew i wasn't i was not popular <laughs> that's for sure yeah yeah what are you doing when you're at George Washington? What are you trying to to reach? What are you trying to get to? Yeah, so the, I mean, when I was in DC, I was already working at a nonprofit. Um, I was going to to different. Uh, I know I was going to the U.S. Institute of Peace. 
uh, a lot going to, to Woodrow Wilson Center too for a lot of seminars, a lot of conferences. At the time, I, I even met Bush, President Bush, um, in one of the conferences that I attended. So there's so much to do um, in D.C. I was also playing soccer <laughs> at the time. So there was there was a lot to do. And we were so fortunate to, to have um, the professors were all professionals. So they were working at the Department of State. They were working at the World Bank. So you kind of have direct access to these networks and this world uh, where the, the books or, or the articles that you're reading, some of them are written by your professors. So it was very exciting for me um, to, to be in this world, to have uh, greater access to, to international relations, to learn about uh, the struggles of small nomadic tribes in Central Asia, which I didn't know Central Asia, the Central Asian countries, um, like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, we never learned about them in high school. They, they completely were right. out of our books. So I was so surprised to learn about this region. I mean, and they had a whole Central Asia Institute. So, I mean, it just really op opened your eyes to the world. That's so funny that you single that out because when I when I think about it and you started running them off and first thing in my head was like, all right, the, all the stands, they all sound alike. And it's like, that's exactly what you say when you don't know what you're talking about. And because it's like, it's just that that I have like such ignorance about it because we never learned a single thing. So like my first time hearing about it, I didn't even know what I was listening. I didn't even know what someone was saying to me just hearing these countries and it's just kind of all jammed together. And I feel like that's maybe my you at my or my my high school history problems. I I didn't I don't know. I felt like we were learning the same stuff over and over again. When you are learning about all these new things, how, how often is that happening? Where you're feeling like, where was this in high school? I mean, I think I, I don't think as as many subjects as we had in high school. I felt it was more like an opportunity to present us with all of the options. Um, like you can go study physics, chemistry, math. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? And high school is an opportunity to expose you to these subjects. But when once you choose what you really want to do, then at college, you can really delve into it. Mm. I only looked at electives like that. Like I, that's, that's okay. so, that's so fun. I mean, that's exactly right. I never looked at, um, I never looked at actual classes as like an opportunity to grasp onto something. I just looked at it as like forced, uh, forced learning. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's why I never, I never gravitated to anything until I was, I was older. My, everything for me was the arts, right? I did, I did chorus. I did, uh, musicals. I thought I was going to be a theater major. I did TV lab. I ended up uh, going to film school. It was all, that's, I took all the elect, I, that's how I approached all the electives, but I never approached any academic class like that. Oh, by the way, I'll tell you, I applied to George Washington um, uh, for my master's. Uh, I wanted to get, um, I wanted to get a degree in public policy and I bombed my GREs. I bombed the math section. See, here we go. I thought I was so good at math. I learned all these vocab words, 
did great on vocab, bombed my math section, and I couldn't get into GW. So that's the thing about the GREs, because I was um, the opposite. I was really good at vocab, but somehow I ended up doing much better on math and vocab in the GREs. <laughs> but you, but so, well so enough to get in. Yeah, well, somehow, yeah. somehow I made it. When do you, when you're so when do you actually graduate? What do you end up getting your your degree in from GW? Yeah, so uh, international um, relations and development. And where do you go from there? So from there, I was really trying to get to the field, um, and I applied to almost a hundred jobs. I didn't get any. So I spent months just applying. I, I also worked a, a bit in the DC area, but my, my goal was actually to, to work at UNHCR, uh, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. That was really my goal. Um, so I wanted to get to the field and I wanted to get exposure. I ended up volunteering um, with uh, the Danish Refugee Council in Azerbaijan. Uh, and it was it was an internship that turned into a position. And then from there, because I already had some field experience, um, I went back to D.C., worked a little and then was able to um, to finally get the job that I wanted. <laughs> what does in the field what is in the field look like? What kind of what is actually happening when you're working with like refugees in the field? Like what is so my first real job um, working in the field, um, real meaning I was there a few years, was in Central African Republic, which has been in a state of war for, for decades now. And I, I was, after landing in the capital, got on a small world food program plane um, to go to the field. You're dropped in the middle of nowhere. Uh, which is now rebel-controlled territory. Wow. Um, at the time, Central African Republic, we call it CAR, was ruled by seven different rebel groups, and the government had no control, uh, which is still the case today. By um, and then and then you're out there, you're out there, and you you are working with, um, you're coordinating with the different agencies, with the different nonprofits with the local communities, with the rebels. You have to work with the rebels. And uh, I know that we use this term and, and we, when we say rebel, we think they're bad. But I mean, in some situations, they're just local communities that arm themselves to, to protect themselves from um, far, foreign excursions. There we were near the Chadian border and the soldiers would often come and ransack the villages. So they would create their own self-armed groups uh, that uh, evolved into an established rebel group uh, that controlled the area since the government could not protect them. So uh, so we were out, I mean, I was out there for, for a number of years. It was very difficult. I wanted to, to quit several times, but um, I think it was the most fulfilling work that I have done because I was able to do so much um, in a place that, that needed uh, the, the support and the assistance 
And by assistance, I mean getting them agricultural tools, food delivery, registering individuals. So uh, we were able to do a lot in the time that uh, we could. So is it facilitating aid into the area, working with the with the rebels to allow that in um, just general general like care? It's not getting people out, right? It's it's providing care for people that live there. Exactly. Um, we weren't getting people out. Um, we didn't have the resources to do that, but it was getting assistance to them. What is a moment that makes you want to quit while you're there? I think um, at some point, because of the security situation, we weren't able to to work. We weren't able to to access the people when we knew that they were most in danger. And this situation being prolonged uh, for several weeks or months where you you're out there in the field, but you can't be um, with the local populations supporting them, uh, I think was the most frustrating. Where are you living while that's while that's happening and you can't get to any any of this anyone there? Where are you actually held up? So we we were placed in in these compounds. They were UN compounds, so uh, different agencies had their staff there. But I mean, the the conditions were were very bad in the sense that we did not have running water. Um, resulting in getting typhoid uh, several times. The the bottled water, uh, which we thought was bottled, (laughs) we found out the water was actually from the local well uh, explaining why we got typhoid. So you would have, uh, on top of the the difficult situation, you get typhoid, you get malaria. uh, So you're constantly sick uh, as well. And this is despite being vaccinated for, for typhoid. So vaccines aren't always 100% foolproof if the, the dosage of the disease is high enough. That's timely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you, so you wanted to quit. How do you, how do you make it through? I, I, I can only picture myself in, in that type of a situation. I'm very much a, you know, let's weigh the, the, the pluses and minuses and if the minuses are too heavy let's let's get out of there i can see myself saying i don't think i want to do it that bad how do you how do you make it through pull through in this sickness in being away from home in you're not able to do the job you came to do what's keeping you there how do you make it through one is the drive to to make a difference to to you're already there you you know that you have made a difference and you can continue to do so so being able to see the effects of your work keeps you there. But also, I mean, we had a support system among colleagues. So I had colleagues that I would call up and that were very supportive um, and I would support them. So I think this was also uh, very helpful. You're, you're in a shared disaster, <laughs> you can say. You got each other. Yeah. I didn't want to be that cheesy and say, but that's what it seems like. It sounds like you're stuck with who you've got and you just kind of lean on each other, huh? Yeah. Um, where else do you go from there then? So you're, you go to Africa. Where are you, where are you now? Um, 
I'll I'll tell you before you I get to, to where I'm now. Yeah, I can tell you. But after Central African Republic, I went to the Caucasus, um, so to Georgia and Armenia. It was uh, also an IDP situation. In Georgia, uh, Russia had annexed um, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, two regions of that country. So they had over 300,000 internally displaced persons. Uh, Armenia also had the Nagorno-Karabakh situation, which is continuing. Later, I went to Ethiopia. Uh, there I was working in a very large refugee camp, 80,000 refugees from South Sudan. And now I'm in Greece. In Greece, uh, in Athens, where we have, we've had the, um, the, the refugee situation since the 2015 influx of, of refugees moving towards Europe. Since the pandemic, it's, uh, it's a bit calmer. But uh, I've, I think since, since I left, since high school, I have been on the move, I think every two years. Do you come back at all? I was back in, uh, after Ethiopia, I was back for about a year. And uh, I really needed it. I just, I really needed to, uh, to, to relax and, and having been in, in the field for so long, uh, just to kind of get a sense of normalcy because living, I mean, in isolation in these, uh, various <laughs> locations in the field, uh, you, you, you come back from, for example, Central African Republic and, you're not like everyone else in society, meaning that things that um, are important, like people are picking out curtains for their houses or what restaurant are we going to after having seen or lived uh, some of these things in these conflict areas, these normal day things, they, they have no meaning to you. And that doesn't mean that it's, um, it's wrong to want to pick out curtains. It, you just have to get yourself back to this um, sense of, I guess, the, I don't want to say civilization. I don't want to use this word, but I want to say a sense of, I'll say normalcy because mm. growing up, this, this was what was normal for me. I mean, growing up, especially in the suburbs, and I would say a privileged um, area of the suburbs, privileged to also be in the U.S. And then you go and see how, how people live just to survive, just to survive to the next day, um, where you're in a state where you think about survival. Am I going to see tomorrow vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, just uh, being a bit more carefree about life? So I, I needed that, and this is why I really needed to come back um, to Bluebell for for a few months and uh, kind of recharge my batteries. Have you ever seen the the HBO show Newsroom? The Newsroom? No, no, I have not. Uh, it's an Aaron Sorkin uh, show. I think maybe two seasons, but it's basically just like a following like a CNN type of 
of channel through um, through the 2000s. Um, and there's a, an arc where they go, a few of the reporters end up going, I think, to Africa to a refugee camp and rebels come in, there's shootings, all that. And a few of the of the reporters come back um, with PTSD. Uh, for you, I mean, you've, you've talked about like the security, the scariness and needing to come back. Um, is it at times too much? Do you ever, is it, does it feel like um, it's changing you? Um, I don't know. Is it, is it traumatizing? I guess, is it, is it that scary? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was that scary, um, in Central African Republic because we, we were evacuated and, and, uh, the, the rebels had already ransacked the capital when we were inside. So, I mean, it was, it was very traumatizing, um, you know, hearing you, we were in a war zone basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't know if we would make it out. So the, this, I remember the, the stress really remained with me and uh, for, for months, it took me months to, to recover um, from that situation. Do you have, Coping techniques, things, you know, things that you've learned along the way that at this point help you deal with that without the need to have to go home or, or get away from this, that you can stay in this. Do you have any anything you've learned along the way that helps you with that? Um, yeah, I guess um, in, in Ethiopia, we it was not as dangerous, but... I mean, there were attacks every now and then. So I would just try to have some uh, a daily routine. Mm-hmm. And this would really help in, in having stability to, to have some quiet time in the morning before you start work to, you know, to have this type of tea, to read this book. So, so mm-hmm. the daily routine really helped in, in, uh, with coping and to de-stress. And I planted a garden everywhere I went. Oh, okay. Were you, did you have a green thumb? Did you have a green thumb before this or is this a new skill you picked up? No, no, I, I planted gardens, but I was, I never stayed long enough to get the, get the fruits or vegetables. So everywhere you, everywhere you've been, there's, there's some sort of uh, a remnants that you've left of a destroyed garden somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, especially, I mean, on the weekends, you have nothing to do. So, uh, and living in a compound, working in a garden is is helpful. Did you marry? Did you, well, obviously your name changed um, and you said you have a, a baby? Yeah, yes. When did yeah, you? So I, I, I didn't marry um, when I was in Georgia, in the country, Georgia. I met my husband there and we married there. How do you um, meet someone when you're, you know, going through war zones and, you know, living in a compound? How does that, how does that happen? Was it someone that was also um, working with refugees? Um, No, it was was someone working for um, the European Union. And I guess Georgia was a bit more stable. It wasn't uh, a war zone. It was um, after war. Uh, when I arrived there. So, so yeah, I met my husband uh, there. 
what is the courting like in Georgia? Do you go out to like, do you go out to like, I, I know nothing about international travel, really. You no, know, so. Georgia is such a beautiful country. I really recommend you go there one day. Um, you have the Caucasus Mountains and I lived there for, for almost three years. Almost every weekend I was going on trips and I still have not seen everything. And wow. uh, it's a small country, but it is so rich in history. Um, and I mean, it has all of these, including Roman ruins. It has all of these uh, cool. different ruins, the mountains, hiking, did a lot of hiking there, skiing in the winter. So it's a, it's a really nice place. And the people are so hospitable. Uh, and, it's, and they have so many varieties of wine as well. All right. Yeah, actually, I remember that there was a Georgian girl at GW who told me that wine came from Georgia. And I'm like, no, that's not possible <laughs> until yeah. I went there and really saw that like every household makes its own wine. Oh, and cool. uh, they're really rich in, uh, in culture this way. The food's delicious. So it's a, it's a hidden secret, Georgia. How old is your uh, daughter, son? Yeah, I have a daughter. She's almost three now. Wow. Um, with a with a the life that you've described, you know, it's I'm assuming it's busy. It's how do you adapt from what you were from the world you were living in, the things that you were doing to now doing all of that, being married and with a three year old. So, so the thing is that now I I can't or I won't go to i mean areas where you can't bring your family or that are dangerous so it really changes um what type of work i can do so i'm more do, doing more office work as opposed to field work is that okay with you do you feel do you feel um satisfied yeah. in, in doing i that? feel this is what i need at this time I, and I've really had my, my fair share of field work. <laughs> so, You've done it. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, it's funny. This is, it's, it's so rare that like, I just have zero, I have like not a lot of interest in the, in the high school stuff and talking to you. Like, I just kind of want to know these stories and, um, and how you got to this point. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't a straight A student. I, I'm not smart. Like, I'm not super smart compared to other people, but I was ambitious. And I had this, this drive, and I think this goes for everyone. If you have a goal, if you have a drive, I mean, you don't have to be smart to get. Um, you don't need to have a high IQ to get or to be able to, to follow your dreams. You just have to set a goal and go towards it. That's an awesome, that's an awesome message. Um, I want to, before we go, I want to, um, I want to finish off your, your clubs. Cause that's what I like to do. Okay. Um, so we, I think we left off with, uh, with great, with great books. You've got health careers. Um, you've got horticulture which lends to your gardening skills. Now you've got interact club and key club, which always seem to go hand in hand. Uh, do you remember anything about these clubs, interact club or key club? I, they, 
they ring a bell, but I don't remember Horticulture Club at all. Uh, it's funny because you did that for two years. You did that for 10 and 11. I just, I wonder, I wonder if these are groups that met once or twice. And you got the credit and that was it. Yeah. Some people have mentioned that, that they just put it on for the transcript and they don't even have any memory of like really attending these things. Would you have done something like that? No, no. I think I was the type to, to try to attend as many clubs as possible. So okay. I just don't remember everything. National Honor Society, 11 through 12. So that means you, you were academically, you were getting it done at that point, 11th and 12th grade. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but I was because I was taking the AP classes as well. But again, I wasn't getting all A's. I okay. was getting B's, I think, a solid B. Nothing wrong with a yeah. solid B. Yeah, yeah. You've got Omni for 9 through 12. I remember that, yeah. What is Omni? I don't remember what it is, but I remember I was part of it. Yeah. Um, World Affairs, which... Makes sense, 10 through 12. And then here's the sports. Indoor track, 10 through 12. Mm -hmm. And soccer, 10 through 12. Yeah. And your quote, equality will exist when the very word loses all meaning. I lack the words to express my gratitude to you, mom, dad, Michael, and Alan. Thus, I shall leave only this. I'm going to screw this up. Is it Kasham? Kakum? Kasham? Yeah, it's Koham. Koham. Koham was. Who was Koham? Which means, uh, Koham means I love you in Polish. Oh, this is, you know, so also, you know, no, no initials. um, Very, I don't know. It seems to fit you and what you have ended up doing the way that you described kind of, you know, quiet and not popular, but not really into the rah-rah. Your your book is not rah-rah of I'm going to miss all my friends or these were the best times just kind of reflecting on the family. Yeah. That's it. We, that's pretty much it. That's we, we did the interview. We did the show. Great. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Now that this was like, I just want to say that um, this whole initiative of the podcast, because I did listen to a few, I think it's, it's such a great initiative that you've taken. Um, Thank you. Like I said, I don't remember much of high school, but, um, but it's also, I think it's it's kind of healthy to be looking back and reflecting upon your past and also about your peers at the time and seeing the different roads that people have taken, the different obstacles they faced and, and where they are. And I think this whole initiative, it's kind of bringing it to be a shared experience, um, even with people that were never your friends or you didn't know or you don't remember. So... A great job at uh, bringing this together. All right. That was Aneta Ostash. Pretty incredible story. I think besides the danger, what really stuck out was Aneta's ability to find her path despite not being a top student, not getting into her college choices, not finding that job out of GW, hard work, having a sense of purpose. I thought it was inspiring. You don't need to have a high IQ to follow your dreams. Great quote. So thanks so much, Aneta for the first international episode of We Weren't Friends in High School. In two weeks, I will be back with another episode. I'm not 100% sure which episode will be airing. It's already recorded. I've talked to a few classmates over the past couple of weeks, but I'm not sure if they're airing in the order I recorded them. You'd think if anyone would know, it would be me. 
but I can at least give you a hint. The next guest's name will start with an M. When I know for sure, I'll let everyone know on Instagram that we weren't friends in high school. And that is it for me. I'll see everyone in two weeks on a Monday morning. Later.